Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we talk about the latest in zero-knowledge research and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna. And me, Frederick. This week, I chat with Matt and Brecht from Loopring about how they launched the first live ZK rollup on Ethereum. We explore the evolution of Loopring, how their system works, how they are introducing the concept of AMMs to L2, and what's next for the project. But before we start in, I want to say thank you to this week's sponsor, Parity Technologies. Parity is a company building the core infrastructure to power Web 3.0. They strive to write the fastest, lightest, and safest core technology in blockchain, and they write a lot of open source code. They're currently looking to fill a number of job positions. So for the Berlin office, they're looking for an experienced, creative, and enthusiastic content marketing manager. If you love attracting people with your writing and love creating high quality and engaging content that drives business success, they want to hear from you. And also, there's a remote position where you'd be working with a distributed team. This is for a CICD engineer, and the role would have you working to automate an ever-growing set of open-source repos in GitHub. You should have experience with GitHub Actions, GitHub CI, Linux, as well as compiler experience like Docker. There are several more positions to be filled as well, including many in engineering, business development, and marketing. So if you're interested or know someone who is, you can find out more at parity.io slash jobs. I've added the link in the show notes. So thank you again, Parity Technologies. Now here is my interview with the guys from Loopring. So today I'm here with Matt and Brecht from Loopring, which is a ZK-powered L2 solution. And this is the first time I actually have you both on the show to talk about Loopring the protocol. So welcome, Matt and Brecht. Thank you, Anna. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Anna. By the way, I'm calling you Matt. Is that okay? Should I say Matthew? Yes, Matt is fine. And just for the listener's sake, I am Matt. The other person is Brecht. (laughs) (laughs) So Brecht, you've already been on the show you actually were on the show for an, an episode. It was kind of like a combo episode where I had interviewed four different people about the trusted setups, or maybe it was five. It was like the trusted setups explained episode. But why don't you, just for the listeners on who are listening to this episode, give a brief introduction to yourself once again. I was indeed already on for the like the least fun part of our zero knowledge proof, uh, how we use zero knowledge proof. So uh, yeah, <laughs> the trusted um, setup. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody indeed. wants to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I'm uh, Brecht de Vos. I'm the chief architect at uh, Loopring. So I kind of work on uh, the main protocol and all the zero knowledge stuff for Loopring. Cool. And Matt, this is the first time that you're on the Zero Knowledge podcast. So why don't you let us know a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, rightfully so. It's my first time because I am just uh, on the business side of things at Loopring. So the fact that I'm here is uh, gracious of you. But yeah, I, I kind of lead um, the business side of things. We're mostly a team of, of engineers, about 20 plus at this point, and very little on the, on the business and ops side, although that's changing. So that, that's what I take care of. So I think, you know, like we just said, in in the episode that Brecht, you were on, we didn't actually talk much about what Loopring was. We really focused in on the trusted setup that you had run as part of like it was the L, it was kind of the phase two from the perpetual powers of Tao. Um, but now I'm wondering or I'm thinking we should probably start from the beginning about this project, because it's it's also a project that I know has evolved a lot. So what was the original idea for Loopring? Okay, so I'll, I'll take this one because it's something I could speak to before uh, we get into the weeds with, uh, with Brecht. But yeah, that's, that's very right, Anna. Loopring has been around for nearly three and a half years. So kind of born in the initial ICO boom. We started life as a DEX protocol. So zero knowledge or anything scalability related was not in our, our mandate. We were a DEX protocol, specifically an order book DEX protocol, what was kind of like the hybrid style back then. So off-chain order books and order messaging and matching off-chain and then submitted to Ethereum for settlement. But even with this hybrid approach, the scalability was still pretty pitiful. 
we were able to do like settle, I think three to five transactions or, or trades per second. Um, and because we were, we kind of fancied ourselves as an order. This was before AMMs and all that, right? This was to kind of just be a suitable order book exchange. We started looking into scalability approaches. I want to say in my mind, the, the, the marker is around DevCon Prague. I remember being there and hearing about ZK rollups. And then I kind of, maybe I'm imagining this a bit, but I remember like texting, I think Brecht and, and Daniel being like, ZK rollups. What are these things? It's, <laughs> it sounds like it could solve it's our problems. The future. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, sure enough, fast forward like a year or a year and a half, and we were the first ZK rollup or the first rollup of, of any kind. And um, yeah, we used ZK rollups to scale our order book DEX protocol. So it was a, a quite application specific route, but that's, that's kind of the real short of it, where we were and, and how we got to being ZK. Cool. So the DEX idea, at that time, there were a few other DEX kind of projects around. Would you have compared yourselves at the time to like Kyber? Were you in that realm? Or you kind of mentioned that the order book was off chain. So I guess it was a little bit unique that way. Right. It was much more of the 0x model. Okay. So they had their relayers that hosted stuff off chain, um, whereas Kyber was like uh, on chain uh, reserves and, and market makers like that, kind of a request for quotes. Uh, in fact, like it used to be like when I would explain loop ring back in the day, it'd be like, oh, so like zero X. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> when you first created the project, like were you able to actually ship something relatively early? Like this DEX that you're describing, like was that an, actually a live product on chain? Like this was something that was being used or was it still kind of a testnet thing? We did ship something. I mean, so we were purely protocol focused. We were building the protocol but then we built like a prototype, but on mainnet that it, it worked, but it wasn't a real lovely experience at all. It, like the fact that anybody used it is, is a miracle. And, and, it, and it, was, it was only lightly used, to be honest. But yeah, we shipped Loopring V1 and then V2 had some kind of just a bit more fancy features. And then V3 was the ZK rollup. That was... Uh, what took like the a big year. change. Right. That's cool. So you're like, this is the part of the project that I've always kind of been curious about because you, Loopring kind of appeared on my radar, I guess, once you had the zero knowledge stuff in it as like a real kind of contender uh, in the space. I do wonder, like, the problem that you were trying to solve, was it purely this idea of, like, transactions per second or orders taken per second? And you saw ZK roll up as a potential solve for that? Is that the pain point that you were looking to solve? Or was there like some other features of the ZK rollup that appealed to you? Right. The ZK rollup was meant to solve the transaction per second and just to kind of replicate the centralized exchange. I mean, we, I guess we were slightly naive. For us, it was just like, yeah, it was just that one aspect. It was scalability because in our case, I mean, as an order book exchange, the analog that everyone is comparing you to is, you know, the centralized exchange. And then when we would try to like espouse the virtues of, hey, use a loop ring decentralized exchange, it's like, okay, I'm really sacrificing a lot of UX and I'm really going through a lot of hurdles just to, you know, have this nice property of my own keys, which of course is very meaningful to many of us and probably the, the majority of your listeners. A DEX is useful for that you know, non-custodial aspect and, and no KYC and stuff like that. But so that's how we started life, trying to just, you know, build, because actually our, like our main founder, our CEO operated a centralized exchange before Loopring. So he operated like a small one, a regional one um, in Shanghai, I believe. And then, you know, as a, as a technical person, he saw Ethereum and said, I want to build this on Ethereum. And then the throughput, it was just, it was just a, a poor experience. You can't build an order book exchange that, that people really love using, especially that market makers need to be able to provide liquidity, right? Quite quickly and easily to place an order, to cancel an order, not pay 30 cents in gas for those actions. So the ZK rollup was to bring us into the realm of competitiveness with legacy centralized exchanges. How did you, though, when as you were going through this process, like how did you, what did you make of Uniswap? 
And actually, I don't I've never had Uniswap on the show. We I I don't know how it works under the under the hood, to be honest. But is it? It's all on chain and it's not an L2. So when you saw that, were you like, oh, wait, it is possible? Or were you like, no, we still have to push this our our system kind of off chain? Right. That's a really good question. And I like to say so first of all, when even when we started, when we started Loopring, Uniswap wasn't around. Even when we started the ZK rollup research, I don't think Uniswap was around, or maybe like it wasn't, you know, as insanely popular as as it is today. But Uniswap is an automated market maker, right? It's a, a an AMM. I like to think that they have that model, and them specifically has such success because it is uniquely strong in Ethereum's environment. It's like the apex predator for this like slower, murkier Ethereum. Like an automated market maker is automated. So you have this for- formula. So liquidity providers don't need speed. Mm. They, you're, you're, it's almost like your hands are tied. So the ability to do things fast and cheap is not so important. You just dump assets into this automated market maker, this really elegant formula that says the proportion of asset A to B is the exchange rate. And so I like to think like it emerged out of like the uh, the swamp or like this jungle, this this new, <laughs> but swamp in a good way here, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it, it was like the apex predator of its environment. Like you, huh. so, so that's why AMMs on layer one have been so successful. Uh, liquidity is easy to bootstrap. Whereas on an order book, for us to go to like a legacy style market maker, liquidity provider, someone to, that we could just say, hey, here is a venue, please quote ETH in die terms. They're going to be like, I cannot do this to the best of my ability because you are too slow for me. Got but it. Uniswap said, hey, anybody, forget even sophisticated market makers, if you have $20 in die and $20 in ETH, deposit it here. And now you are kind of like funding this formula, this, just mm-hmm. this function. So that's why AMMs have been so successful and order book exchanges have not been. But with the emergence of layer two, we could now see order books become competitive because they regain what they were good for, their, their speed and, and allow market makers to be, you know, to do their thing. So mm. I'll leave it there. Cool. Brecht, what was your what were you actually doing at Loopring before the ZK stuff? Were you working there already? Uh, so yeah, uh, uh, briefly before that, I was working at Loopring, but I only joined when we were already working on V2. So kind of like my history with with Loopring is that like uh, I was working for a uh, game development, a small game development uh, company. Uh, so I, I was I was comfortable with optimizing stuff, and optimizing stuff was all, of course also very important on L1. So Loopring had ah. uh, optimization bounty uh, for their V1 and V2. And I kind of joined the V1 optimization bounty and I was quite successful. So I kind of was noticed, you, you, you could say. Uh, and then uh, a little bit after that, I actually joined Loopring full-time and started working on V2 for a couple of months, uh, mainly uh, just implementing uh, the existing uh, design, ah. and then like all the all the zk stuff uh, started happening. So uh, I was actually unaware of most of the stuff until Matthew uh, sent me uh, some some links, uh, and then I started looking into it and starting implementing uh, our v three. Uh, so with with a lot of help, external help as well, uh, next to Matthew. The talk that you're describing at, at ETH Prague, that was uh, DevCon 4, was it Barry Whitehat's talk? I am quite sure. In that little side room? Because I was there too. And I remember like even having known, I, like I had you know, been doing the Zero Knowledge podcast already for a year and a half or something and had been studying in a way the ZK stuff. But I remember that talk was one of the first times that I could see he it was very there were some like very clear articulations of how the ZK like how this how the snark can be used for this and um I don't know if he fully fleshed out the roll-up construction I just remember him explaining snarks really clearly but that's so cool like that that inspired this potentially 
Yeah, basically, with, uh, we, we started from their work on roll-ups. So I wasn't in direct contact with them uh, yet. Now, now I'm uh, more in contact with Barry Whitehead mm-hmm. and like, uh, other people that worked on the original roll-up design, I would say. So yeah, that, that basically was the original ID, and we, we just uh, built on top, on top of that. Cool. So now we've kind of reached the point in the story where Loopring has discovered the ZK roll-up concept and is like starts working, I guess the team starts working towards this L2. Um, at the time that you were doing this, was the L2 concept already somewhat defined? I guess it was because there was like plasma and I don't know if there was anything else, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it was mainly plasma. Yeah. And that was also one of the things that we were working on in parallel to our ZK roll-up. Uh, but then I think we got quite far. But then like a couple of months in, I think like uh, March or April, uh, uh, probably probably 2019, I, uh, I would say. And that's when the Loopring ZK roll-up version was released, I guess. Yes. And that was that released? Was that like the final version on mainnet or was that still kind of like in testnet phase? Uh, mainly it was final. So we did some small changes afterwards, but uh, not much basically has changed. So there were like with all V1s of stuff, uh, it had some stuff that could definitely be improved, which we, we've actually shipped now, uh, like a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but yeah, that was final for the time. Cool. So I'm thinking now would be a really good time to kind of explore a little bit more of the Loopring construction. With this introduction of the ZK roll-up concept, with with it becoming sort of this L2 DEX, actually, would you consider Loopring a DEX or is Loopring a construction and a protocol? What is it today? It's it's both. The Loopring ZK roll-up uh, is a protocol, uh, an open source protocol, it's also a DEX that it's like it's an exchange product that we operate on top of it, but so can anybody else. So yeah, it, it's both. It's it's kind of it's it's interesting to describe our identity and our evolution. But yeah, there's the Loopring protocol team, then there's the Loopring kind of relayer team, which I won't un- uncover all this now. But then there's also an exchange that we operate atop it. Cool. And so starting in 2000, end of 2019, I guess, did you release all of this? Like when you talk about Loopring version three, is it the protocol that's the new version or is it the DEX that's the new version? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, we, we call the versions uh, for the actual protocol because okay. like all the other stuff, like the, the website, the relayer that's, that hooks up into the protocol, uh, all that stuff is, of course, we, we just keep working on it to make it better. Okay, okay. So that, but those aren't like, they, you don't have kind of this like release schedule because you might even still have the same interface, but behind the yeah. scenes, something's exactly. changed. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about this. I guess start with the protocol. How does the Loopring ZK Rollup protocol work? And maybe how is that different from other ZK Rollups, if it is? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, well, of course, it's it's uh, all ZK rollups are basically the same, but of course, there's a lot of uh, flexibility on how you can implement stuff. But we are uh, an app-specific ZK rollup, so we don't try to be like a general purpose where everybody can just build upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we just try to do a couple of things very well and very optimized, so we can do transfers, trades, and like EMM swaps. And that's it. So that's that's what we can do. We can extend it a little bit with the help of contracts, but like the the optimized parts are those basic operations. And like how how it differs from all the zk rollups is like yeah, it does those things very efficiently. So uh, all the zk rollups can only do maybe transfers and atomic uh, or atomic swaps or or stuff like that. So we kind of do those three things uh, and try to do those three things well. So what, what what the EMM swaps are kind of like the new stuff uh, in our new protocol release, uh, but other things has, have, have changed as well. So uh, uh, quite a lot of things were quite expensive to do in our previous rollup. So getting people on board costed like uh, a lot of gas, uh, which we optimized a lot, and also like a lot more flexibility on, on the stuff that we can actually do on-chain 
so like it, so because we can only do a limited amount of operations uh, in the Zico rollup, we do try to make things easy to work with, even if we do some logic on chain. So uh, that's kind of like the main things, I guess, that we that we approved upon. So most of our audience is probably familiar with like a ZK rollup, but I actually wouldn't mind hearing how you describe this. How do you explain ZK rollups from your perspective, maybe to your audience and how you use it? <laughs> so basically, like, of course, the, 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 I think the easiest way to understand is like, uh, maybe like just a compression of, of the transactions. And it's like with, with, with the validity proof. So, uh, we can compress all the transactions and we could actually verify that that the compression worked or something like that. Yeah. So you you create you kind of compress it into one proof that you can and this is where I'm curious like do you verify is the verifier a smart contract on chain that verifies yes. that proof? Where does the proof that you've created live? So the proof generation is uh, completely done uh, off chain. So uh, okay. that's kind of like one of the main well, computational heavy parts of, of ZK rollup uh, solution. So uh, while something like optimistic rollup, uh, you don't have to do any proving and you just push all the data on chain. We do have to generate this whole proof off chain, which is quite computational expensive. But on the other, other hand, it's not really that expensive. So I actually calculated the costs for the proof generation compared to data on chain, even pushing one byte of data on chain is more expensive than generating a proof for a whole transaction. Okay. So for, uh, for our system in particular, so different proving systems have different proving complexities, so it will different bit. But mainly the one thing that we want to optimize for is the amount of data that we actually push on chain and not mm -hmm. so much the proving uh, complexity. Who, like you sort of said, the proving happens off chain, but who are creating these proofs? Or what is creating these proofs? Yeah, that's our, our relayer system. So our relayer system bundles, uh, like all collects all the transactions and uses those transactions to fill up a block. And this block we send to the prover. The prover generates a proof for this block. And then we submit this block and the proof to our smart contract, to our ZK rollup smart contract. And then we verify the proof. And if the proof is valid, then the state is updated in the ZK rollup uh, smart contract. Is the relayer an entity or is the relayer a mechanism that's actually built into the protocol? Like, is there a is there an agent there or is it something automatic? Well, it's it's completely off-chain as well. So there's a, a couple of ways you can do ZK rollups with like multiple people that, that can create blocks and submit them on-chain. But we don't do that uh, for now. So there's one entity, which is us for now, mm -hmm. which runs this relayer software software that creates the blocks and then can push it on chain. So in our smart contract, we only accept blocks if they come from our ETO address. Got it. And are are you also the prover then? Yes. Okay. But do you you see you kind of mentioned these as very as distinct roles, the relayer and the prover. But if in the future you it isn't just you doing this, would it still would it be a joint role or is it do you imagine it being kind of two separate roles? Yeah, it could definitely be two separate roles. So um, we we just use, I think, AWS to generate our proof because we don't have that many transactions yet. So uh, we don't really need that much compute power to generate the proof. But yeah, in the future, if there's like very optimized hardware to, to generate those proofs, then it could make sense to just uh, send the blocks to those entities let them generate the proof, and then we just pay. Yeah, the an operator basically just pays a small fee for the proof, and uh, then they can uh, do it as well. But it's it's completely trustless process. So you just push the block to the to the prover, and you get the proof back, and yeah. there's there's no uh, trust issues there. Is there any concern? I mean, I'm sure that this is a question that's come your way, and and maybe you have a kind of a plan for it. But but you as this central entity, or Loopring as a central entity, that somehow doing the relay and, and the proving, like I think it's optically at least it it has the sense that like maybe that's a, a centralizing point and a potentially a potential vulnerability. So how do you kind of respond to questions about that? What's what's your plan? We don't offer full 
censorship resistance. So, but we do offer full uh, censorship resistance for withdrawals. So while we can mostly decide what goes into those blocks, so which transactions are actually executed, people can still do a withdrawal request on-chain just using Ethereum, and then we have to withdraw their funds. I see. So if we if we do something that users aren't comfortable with or happy with, like censor all their requests for some reason, mm-hmm. they can still do an Ethereum transaction and they get their money back without having to count on it on us actually being fair. Got it. Is it sort of like is it I guess it's in the logic of the smart contract itself, or is it in the logic of the off-chain part where it, it like automatically will reimburse or like allow someone to withdraw? It's a, it's a completely, it's a, in the smart contract. Logic. It's in the smart contract. And I guess, because that's, that's sort of what I wondered about this, because like in that smart contract, are, are people depositing into the smart contract and, it, and the funds are then locked there and then kind of redistributed after the fact? Yeah, exactly. So you uh, deposit to the exchange contract, like mm-hmm. the Zika rollup contract, and then they are stuck there, uh, which allows us to do whatever logic we want in with those funds. So that's actually mm-hmm. one of the, like, Previously, you asked, like, what are the benefits of ZK rollups? And one of the things is scalability. But the other kind of important usability uh, benefit is that these funds are locked there. And we can actually use those funds immediately off-chain. So we we can depend on those funds to actually be there. Mm. Uh, So we can offer, like, what we call, like, apparent uh, finality. Uh, So uh, if you do a trade or you do a transfer, in our ZK rollup, then it's basically instantaneously final because we will just do all those transactions as they happen. Mm-hmm. That's because that was kind of like a, a quite a problem with like full decentralized exchanges because if you trade from your own wallet, then you can just do a trade, but before that trade actually settles on Ethereum, you can just transfer those funds out and the trade will either fail or it will have like a different outcome than you expected. So it's kind of like not what you would expect from like an order book exchange. So that's kind of like the other, I think, big benefit of, of doing it with the ZK rollup. Now, you, you did say that like as a user, withdrawals are always possible and there's no sense that like the funds could be taken away. But it still does have that kind of, as you described, it's not censorship resistant. Like is there plans or is there a thought to become that way? Or is it kind of a design choice where that's not going to be the selling point that you focus on, but rather speed? Because I know that like having spoken to some other DEXs and, and also L2 DEXs, it's like you're, you have a particular target audience and they may not care that much about some of those things. So I wonder, is that actually something that matters to loop, the Loopring project? And do you have a plan for it? Yeah, it matters a bit, but it only matters Basically, uh, we think if things go wrong, so if we go offline and people just can't do normal transactions, then of course it's uh, a bad user experience, which if we would have like multiple operators which could uh, create blocks and submit blocks, that wouldn't be a problem because yeah, at least one of those operators would be live. Uh, so if, if we detect that our relayer would be down or something like that, then it would be interesting for us to still allow other operators to do stuff like withdrawals or, or like transfers or something like that. So at least there's some basic, like some basic, yeah, basic service uh, level. Uh, how do you Fun- say it? <laughs> functionality. Yeah, I, I yes. kind of like there, that. There's some basic, like it's working somehow. It's still, yeah, it it's, still it's, would work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's still functional in some way. Even yeah. m- maybe not like 100%, but still for the basic functionality, it's still there. Uh, so that would be one of the things that we would look into uh, into multiple operators. Uh, but otherwise, because we have like this order book exchange, uh, doing that with multiple operators and still have this like apparent finality, if you do a trade, you do a swap, you immediately get your funds uh, like like it's you, you immediately see the outcome in, in on the on the UI. That's a lot more difficult to do if there are multiple operators which can do stuff at the same time, and then they 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 have to do uh, like compete in some way or or, or whatever uh, setup you want, like proof of stake or some kind of auction mechanism to to be able to create this block. Uh, so that makes things a lot more complicated, and I guess 
not much benefit to normal users that just use use our uh, products. Got it. And so it's yeah, it sounds like it sort of falls in that camp where like you really do have a customer in mind. So it's not like decentralization for decentralization's sake. It's got yeah. it's got to have a reason for you to include it. Um, I have a question about something that I saw as I was reading through some of the documentation. What is a ring miner? Because I was kind of expecting you to say that like the prover or the relayer or someone is a ring miner. Am, are they the same thing or is that a different entity? It's an old concept for version one and two of the protocol. So if, oh, you, okay. if you look at some of the documentation, like, uh, like the white paper, I think, which is still on our website, those things are basically not uh, relevant anymore for the, for the newest versions. Right. Yeah, maybe I should have brought this up in the, in the history portion, but Loopring, when we started, where we get our name from is, so order book, but with like combinatorial matching. So like from one pair to another could all be like in a ring to settle. So if somebody is trying to go ETH to die and there's no like match in that book, you could go die to US, you, you could go up to N pairs in these loops yeah. or these rings. So that's where we, we got our name, but that is since deprecated. From my understanding, it's because like the ZK rollup became so primary and that is very not ZK snark or circuit friendly. Um, these ring matches. So we we dropped that. Kind of funny enough, we dropped our, our and kept the name, our name, our namesake. <laughs> and yeah, ring miners are are nowhere to be yeah. seen. We much preferred uh, just the scalability and like normal stuff than uh, like a fancy matching mechanism. Yeah, it sounds like did that potentially inspire? Because if you look on Uniswap, you have that too. You have these like multi trading pairs. Is that sort of a, taken from the original loop ring concept? I wonder. Yeah, I. I I mean, I, I don't think we like invented this like combinatorial or like routing from like A to like F and going like the, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, maybe I think we kind of were the, the ones doing that since 2017, but I, I'm not so sure we directly inspired it. But like what was kind of a little side anecdote also around like uh, DevCon 4 in Prague, I remember speaking with the Gnosis team and they started like I think at the time, it was so funny, they were working on some type of roll-up or plasma scaled exchange. And then when I was speaking with their team there, and they weren't so aware of like exactly what Loopring did, and I said, oh, this combinatorial, like these order rings. They said, oh, we're working on another product that does that. And that was called Diffusion at the time, which they have since, you know, productized. And that's like the Gnosis protocol, which which works now. They have these these ring miners or these like solution huh. finders. So they kind of took our, what we were working on and ran with it and now have like a, a nice product with it. Like Mesa works on the, the Gnosis protocols ring matching system. And then we dropped that and took their scalability <laughs> focus thing. So we went different ways. Um, ah, that's cool. Yeah. Neat. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like a funny situation indeed. So I, I remember me asking Daniel if it would be okay to drop <laughs> ring matching in, in V3 while I was working on it because, yeah, so the, the, the reason why we dropped it is because it doesn't fit very well on standard zero-knowledge proof circuits. Mm -hmm. So these circuits always need to do uh, the same thing every time. So if we want to support like two or three or four orders in a single ring, then we, do, we would always take the hit of doing like four orders instead of like only matching okay. two orders, which would be the most common one. Uh, so it kind of like was a, an efficiency uh, consideration, even if that was the like one of the important features of, of the previous version. Now, you just mentioned, I kind of, the next thing I want to talk about is this kind of new release and the AMMs. But before I do that, you did mention Daniel, and I don't know who that is. So I'm curious, like, how big is the team? Who is the team? What is it made up of? Who is Loopring? Probably something I should have asked earlier, but, no, but I forgot no, that's to. that's good. We're, we're giving him this, uh, this mystique now of... Uh... Of, of Daniel, but Daniel. So, so he was the person I referred to that yeah, founded Loop. He's our, uh, I guess, like he's a CEO and founder. He's who I said ran the centralized exchange. Uh, okay, um, okay. So, so Daniel, yeah, Daniel Wang, and he's, um, yeah, he continues to be our our, our CEO, and he's uh, he's based in Shanghai. Most of the team is based in Shanghai, actually. Brecht and I are actually 
two of three in the West. Um, and I think we're probably maybe 23 total right now. So that's 20 mostly engineers um, in Shanghai. And then um, Brecht in Europe, me in North America. So yeah, that's, that's the team. I, I mean, we've been hiring more with these recent product releases, but I, I, think, it's, I think it's under 20, 25 and, and mostly based uh, in Shanghai, which is also uh, gives us a bit of, um, you know, in terms of like the main Ethereum builders, there's, there's not, it's not as robust uh, over there. So that, that's, it's an interesting vantage point. Cool. All right, let's talk about V3.6, I guess. This is the most recent uh, version of Loopring that came out. And I think it was around the release of this that I pinged you, Matt, because I was like, well, I want to find out about this. What is this, like an AMM on an L2 ZK Power? Like there, It just seemed like there was a lot of things that we talk about on the show that you are touching on in this release, and I wanted to talk to you about it. So why don't you tell me what, you know, what is version, I think it's 3.6, right? That's the latest. What, what it was introduced with this. Okay, so I'll go over a few high-level features, and then maybe Brecht could talk about the technical ones. But our ZK rollup has been running on mainnet for nearly exactly one year, December 2019 which kind of surprises some people because L2 seems like it only came about this summer when gas prices spiked or not came about, but really became top of mind. But so we've had the benefit of running a ZK rollup for a year, seeing how people interacted or did not interact. You know, it's kind of funny. We always proclaim like 1000x L1 scalability. We could do two, 3000 transactions per second, but in practice we have like 0.1 transactions per <laughs> second of people. At, um, but, but nonetheless, you know, we've like before V V3.6 launched, we had around 8,000 users on our layer two over the course mm -hmm. of the year. Uh, we settled 2 million transactions. So yeah, so basically V3.6 had, was, um, a bunch of design improvements that we had in mind, but also that we just learned from real usage and, and real users. Nice. One thing is just like, so we created our ZK rollup to scale order book DEXs. But then it was actually, this sticks out in my mind as, as quite a funny thing. And I, I often mention this, but in the summer, as gas prices started ticking up, a lot of like Ethereum researchers uh, and scalability enthusiasts, and honestly like Vitalik, specifically in my mind, like I would just see these conversations happen on, on Twitter mainly and be like, hey, Loopring, why don't you enable transfers as well? Like you're a ZK rollup that's live. Like why are you only doing order book trading? Why can't you just allow people like look at the biggest gas guzzler on Etherscan and it's USDT, right? And now gas, gas prices are becoming high enough that even a transfer is no longer negligible. So people, we expanded our scope just by yeah, little nudges from the community and obviously respected community members. And just because we're like, it was an identity thing. We're like, hey, why not? Why don't we do a bit more than just order book trading? So we enabled transfers. So if you're on our ZK rollup in our layer two, you could also do transfers, you know, gas free and apparently instant on, on the L2. So at that Between point. Between users, I guess, or accounts. Exactly. Right. You had to be, but that's actually a great question because, because we came from our legacy angle, that means we only allow transfers between pre-existing accounts on layer two, which okay. is pretty crummy. Like you, it's like anti-network effect to like, you have to invite somebody on before you could send them one die in version 3.6 says, Hey, now that we are transfer aware, why don't we allow the ability to send to any Ethereum address, not just pre-existing wow. one? So that's a big improvement in 3.6 that we allow. You could go from L2 to any uh, Ethereum address that, that was not L2. But it would, the person to be able to claim it, they still have to go on to the L2, right? Like, but it's, it's, it's attached to an, an L1 account, I guess. Exactly Like the right. equivalent on the, on the L2. Exactly right. That's exactly. I'll, I'll leave, maybe uh, Brecht wants to say a few more words about some of these other nice tweaks that 3.6 has. Yeah, so uh, like just general improvements. So there was quite a lot of extra logic that basically nobody really cares about. So, <laughs> uh, so we always did like deposits and withdrawals, like first in, first out. But basically nobody cares much about that. And it made stuff 
much more expensive to do deposits or create accounts on chain. So that's kind of like things that we optimized for. So basically, we we tried to make things cheaper for users, especially, but also provide like much better uh, user experience uh, because of the things we do now. So one of the other big things is that we had like these transaction specific blocks that needed to be submitted. So we could only do like a block with all trades or a block with all withdrawals. And this was kind of like quite a big of a problem because because we don't have that much transactions yet, uh, that many transactions yet on our rollup, people would have to wait quite a bit of time before they, the withdrawal was processed because we waited until we had like uh, quite a few withdrawals. You're batching them and this was delaying stuff. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we can just do all different transactions type in, sing- in a single block. So we can also do like all the trades and then just do the single withdrawal and people get their money as quick as possible. Cool. Of course, we will also have like more advanced features like the that the like the false withdrawal stuff. It's like we could do withdrawals even before the withdrawals is actually uh, processed. So we could send people money instantaneously oh, nice. and then do the, the withdrawal actually uh, afterwards. Is that almost like an optimistic one then? Because then you're you are doing the transfer before the proof. Uh, yeah, you could say that. So we we have would have to depend on liquidity providers. And like the optimistic uh, word use is kind of like fitting because it's much, much more important for optimistic rollups because they have like very long finality times. Yeah. We, we with ZK rollups, we can just, yeah, the withdrawal is final once we publish the proof, which we can do pretty much as fast as we want. But yeah, of course, the, the, the faster we do it, the higher the gas price we have to pay it's- and the, the less transactions we can fit in the block which makes things more expensive. Got it. Uh, so we can do like, within a couple of minutes, we could make things final on chain for users so they can get their withdrawal. But for optimistic probes, where there's like one to two weeks of finality times, these these fast withdrawal mechanisms are much more important because otherwise for any withdrawal, people would have to wait like one to two weeks until they get their money back. One of the other announcements that came out was this idea of an AMM function what what does that mean like what exactly how does an amm fall into this where does that work and you defined this earlier matt amm stands for automatic market maker so is there an automatic market maker in this new version right so there is that that amm which has seen a lot of success on layer one because as it kind of grew out of that environment made for that environment now we say, let's bring that to layer two. So it has the nice properties of, you know, gas free and like apparently instant um, swaps and adding and removing liquidity. So yeah, it's, it's very exciting because AMMs have just become such a big thing on Ethereum. Now that they're on layer two as of like a week and a half ago, we'll see how, how the take up is already the big from a practical point of view, like what it allows us like, or in my mind from the, you know, like the business or just what users want to see, it allows anybody to become a liquidity provider mm-hmm. before to add liquidity, to make an order book. Like, like if we're, you know, listing Anna token versus ETH today. Okay, that's a fake. That's a, not a it real token. Exist. Everybody it doesn't exist. But <laughs> we're not shilling anything. I promise. Yeah, not shilling. <laughs> but th- this new token, like to just put it on an order book where it's like a empty desert, does not accomplish anything, right? We have to get somebody who is willing to say, "I will sell," you know, ATC at this price and buy it here. Uh, you know, like I- I'll sell this coin and buy it. Like you need a person being active, and really, that is like a robot. That is a trading bot. That does that, and those are that is you know very well defined like legacy style players who have low latency bots, and and they're doing that. So that is not so friendly to bootstrapping a liquid environment. You have to speak to these. Just speaking to this entity is a time-consuming thing, right? And maybe making agreements or getting them interested via incentives. But the AMM which I'll allow Brecht also to expand further how we like ZK roll-up eyes it. it. But <laughs> an automated market maker takes the strategy, a unique strategy out of market making and replaces it with a function, just a, a math function. There's different ones. And liquidity follows this function, this curve. So it's like deterministic. It's automated. 
So it allows anybody, you, me, and a sophisticated Wall Street firm all have the same advantage or disadvantage of just depositing liquidity, depositing tokens here, and it being a suitable environment that people could come then take, trade against our liquidity hmm. without us needing to be active or sophisticated. AMM, like just to sum that up, they really are nice because it levels the playing field. It means that anybody with some amount of assets could put those to productive use by supplying liquidity to other people mm -hmm. who want to take that liquidity without needing to spin up a trading bot, be work like without those like kind of more sophisticated considerations. Breck, do you like can you share with us a little bit how the ZK rollup plays into this? Like AMMs, I think we understand we do know them somewhat from like the Uniswap model, but like now you have a AMM on L2, so people would have to lock on the main chain move like their funds then appear on the L2. Is it sort of following the same idea that you just like deposit every you know, you deposit the two sides of the of the trade and you're you're generating either a percentage on trades or a token, I guess, from being the contributor to this? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, it works exactly how you would expect it to work. So it works the same as L1. So uh, instead of doing an actual deposit look like there's no special add liquidity or remove liquidity operation in the ZK rollup, but it's implemented with the basic building blocks as transfers on the ZK rollup. So basically, it was easy for us to implement because we already did trades and trading is now as like a special flag now for AMM trades because AMM trades are just special orders, you could say, that just define like a minimum price that they expect and so if people want to pay more than that that will be fine but like if the trade actually matches that minimum price of the mm then we just allow the trade to happen so it's kind of like a very well elegant way with what we already had to implement stuff so we could actually do whatever trading that we want so we can do uh, if people want to buy a specific one so there's like a specific order then we can still change on how we actually want to uh, fulfill that order. So we can do that against our trading book mm -hmm. or we can do that against an EMM. Mm -hmm. And there can be like EMM against EMM trades uh, also. That's also possible. So that's kind of like how it works in the ZK rollup uh, specifically. So there's, there's also like the one, the pool mechanism. So that's the, the, with people allowing people to deposit their funds, not that complete mechanism is done inside the rollup. Uh, so there's a little bit of logic for pools on layer one that just matches how the, the tokens are actually transfers. So if you deposit something, to, if you want to add liquidity to a pool, then you just do two transfers. Like if there's two tokens in the pool, mm -hmm. you just do two transfers in the pool and then you get the liquidity token transfer back. And that's how we kind of build the, this pool mechanism on top of the the basic building blocks that we already have. Cool. Do you think that there might be a chance that you revisit or re-implement the ring trading one day? Just because I'm thinking like what you're describing there, it's like, well, then you are getting maybe in a situation where you do need to like jump a couple pairs, especially if the volume gets high enough. It could definitely be an interesting one. So um, we, you could say that we could implement like some of the benefits of ring trades just by doing multiple Two order trades, but that doesn't always work as optimally. But yeah, with, with like the advancements in zero knowledge proofs, like I said, like before, like we, we didn't do it because we currently match all the logic that we have to do directly onto a circuit. And so the circuit always needs to do the same. But with like these, these more advanced zero knowledge proofs and like these more advanced general purpose languages on top of uh, zero knowledge proofs, that isn't always the case anymore. So you could do, if you do more operations, then it's actually more expensive to do on a zero dollars mm. proof circuits. If you do less instructions, it's actually more cheaper to do. So and in the future, probably this, this consideration won't be 100% valid anymore. Like you won't need to worry about it as much, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you will be able to do a bit more. Yeah. There's some other projects that we've had on the show that talk about the ZK rollup model. For example, Matter Labs and ZK Sync or Diversify and their work with Starkware. How do you sort of see yourselves in comparison to these other ZK rollups 
generally, like the ecosystem? Like, do you kind of see yourselves as competitors? Do you uh, like learn from these models? How do these different groups interact? So that's a very good question. In some cases, they're competitors, but I think we really think of them as like we're really on the same team here. Any advancement together, like it's so nascent, and like I personally, I'm not just saying it, but I like I like to see success by the the, the other uh, projects you just mentioned. But like practically speaking, the differences or similarities are so Loopring works now like across the whole stack. We have the Loopring protocol. We have the Loopring relayer slash prover. By the way, going back to that, I wanted to jump in there. Like the operator might be like the word that combines okay. them all. Relayer plus prover yeah. equals operator. And in or, general, there needs to be a word that's used for this role in the L2s because we have we are seeing like every there's like groups that are calling it a committee. There are groups that are calling it like a validator, even though it's kind of like not a validator in the way we've thought about it before. Operator sounds good. Right. Relayer is one, prover is one. So yeah, there's a lot of ways that people describe this agent that is basically right. kind of checking what's happening off on L2 and bringing it onto L1. Yeah, exactly. Often in like our group chat, I just like to users, I say, you know, the relayer in brackets, the thing that makes the roll up run. <laughs> like that's that's how I, but um, yeah. So so we have the protocol, the relayer, and now like increasingly products. So like that is, I believe, quite unique or like strictly unique. Like Diversify uses Starkware's stack and tech and like Diversify operates just the product, like a, a really also beautiful, fast order book trading experience, um, but, you know, not, not the lower level stuff. And similarly, Starkware doesn't operate the full extent. So that like that's the difference there. And similar with... Um, with ZK Sync and Matter Labs, they are really building a protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, they at least insinuate the disinclination to operate anything above it, which is fine to to take their word for it. And I'm sure, like, so so they're they're concerned with building a, a protocol that everybody could come onto and build. I guess it's a little bit more generalized in that way, right? So from like the the business or goals point of view, there's differences between where and what Loopring wants to be versus what Starkware, Diversify, and Matter Labs want to be. But there's also important technical differences, not least of which is like Starkware using Starks and all that, but also just like they're tending towards becoming more generalized platforms, whereas Loopring right now is, as Breck said, just focused on doing a few things as best as possible. But yeah, the, the, the age of generalizability in ZK rollup is nigh, I guess. And uh, th- that's that's something very exciting and something that we could very well benefit from and work from and borrow from and, and you know, uh, incorporate into our future versions of the protocol. But yeah, maybe Brecht has a few words on the technical differences between the ZK rollup family here. Uh, yeah, so, well, the technical ones are, well, maybe not that important, but yeah, of course, the, we all use different... Uh, zero knowledge proofs to do what we want to do, and basically, I think the the main the main difference is like Matthew said. Like, let let's say if one year from now we wanted to start using zk rollups for scaling, would we still build our own stuff if if like general purpose solutions would already be there? I guess the answer would be no because we are more more interested in building the products. But like one one or two years ago. That just wasn't possible. So yeah. we want to do the scaling for our apps. And the, the only way that was possible is was to build our own scaling solution as well. So that's kind of like the situation that we are now in. And and that, that was like a good decision to, to take because otherwise we would still be on a full layer one solution and we wouldn't have any we wouldn't really have any any other uh, options available. But that will probably change quite soon. So I think definitely one of the the more interesting approaches uh, to take in the future. I was wondering about the snark itself that you've decided to use because, like you say, it's it's quite limited in in what it needs to do. There's like very few functions that it has to prove for, kind of, or maybe functions is the wrong word, but like actions that it needs to prove for. But what what kind of snark is it? Is it like 
And yeah, what is the circuit size? And like, is it a smaller, easier snark to actually use? Yeah, so we use uh, Grot 16, uh, which is kind of like the, well, you could say it's the oldest one. And standard, kind of. Yeah, the, well, the standard and the oldest one that's uh, that's currently available. Like ZK Sync uses Plunk and Starkware, of course, uses Starks. So the reason for that is that, yeah, it was <laughs> when we made it, it was the only available one uh, that we could use. And we are not cryptographers, uh, so we we kind of uh, were limited with, with what was available to be used in like a production environment, which was Scrot 16. Uh, now there are a couple of more options, but still quite limited if you want to really do everything uh, yourself. But yeah, so our circuit sizes, like one of the, the, the important ones that we use is like Poseidon for the hash function. So our mm. Merkle trees and all the other stuff, we use Poseidon. Uh, to limit the, the complexity of our circuits. And that's basically the biggest part of our proving costs. So that's like Poseidon for the Merkle tree and SHA-256 to, to hash the, the all the data that we get on chain. We hash it using SHA-256 because it needs to be uh, efficient on chain as well as, well, as, as efficient as possible in the circuits. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the, the only hash function that can be used for that. Uh, and so the total cost for a tr- loopring transaction is now uh, around 130,000 constraints per transaction, which is kind of like quite, quite okay. Uh, it's like double the cost of our previous release because we can now do all this stuff together yeah. in a single block. So that kind of increases the cost. We also made like the Merkle trees quite a bit sl- uh, bigger. So we, now we can support more tokens, more users and stuff like that. But yeah, that's kind of like double the cost. But well, the complexity cost, but still the actual dollar cost for the proof generation is very low. So it is like uh, $0.0002 to prove a single transaction. Crazy. Uh, which which with these gas prices that, that are currently available is just, like, like I said before, the data is much more expensive than the actual zero-knowledge proving costs. Hmm. Very cool. So... The, the last part of the kind of loopring world is this wallet. We didn't actually get a chance to speak very much about it. So why don't you tell us, like, tell our listeners a little bit about the wallet that you built and why that's kind of exciting. Yes, thank you. Um, that is another recent release. So as you in your research, you've kind of found it all. Loopring protocol version 3.6 just launched with the AMM that we expose in like a new web UI. But the big thing, and another big thing, is the Loopring wallet, which is a mobile Ethereum smart contract wallet with our ZK rollup kind of tucked in natively to every possible action in, in the wallet. So it's really exciting because it's the first time somebody could interact natively with a ZK rollup and kind of feel this like legacy performance of zero cost. Or, or, you know, gas agnostic, like not uh, subject to spikes and stuff and, and, mm. and delays. So, so yeah, the, the Loopring Wallet is, is a mobile app, currently Android only, hopefully iOS in, in early 2021. And um, it's a smart contract wallet, so it does away with seed phrases and instead has um, the concept of guardians, which you could name as another hardware wallet you control or a friend or family, like your guardians, more than half of which have to be kind of faithful to you in order for your assets to be safe in the smart contract wallet. And, um, Is and it yeah, like that, a multi-sig in a way? Or like a, like you c- it can be recovered through a multi-sig? Yeah, I think about it as a, as a fancier multi-sig. It has some extra logic, like you could have like daily quotas and like whitelisted addresses. But I guess yeah. in, the re- in the recovery sense, yes, like two out of three guardians have to turn the key for you to recover your wallet. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's also like a, a new set of UX challenges to expose to users their Ethereum L1 account and L2 in the mobile app, right? Like we're trying to abstract that away as much as possible. So this could just be like a global Venmo or, mm-hmm. you know, global WeChat pay. So it's, it's a, a whole bunch of new like UX um, hurdles, but ultimately really good reception so far. It's just really cool to be able to send from your phone, uh, you know, half of a US dollar stable coin to anybody 
Um, it's, it's and just, not it's get a, charged crazy amounts of gas for that. That's pretty well, useful, actually. Right. And I have and, a I have a poker an online poker game that I play weekly, and we end up sharing. We send funds, very small amounts, because it's very very low low amount games, five dollars here and there. And so actually, but we don't use crypto because it's just too expensive. The gas like, it wouldn't make sense with the gas prices. Right. So, if you're on Android, please get your poker game to onboard to a Looper wallet. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, that, that 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 about sums it up. With with also the AMM within the wallet. At the end, it's exciting for for me, like as opposed to like, you know, like Breck builds all this, you know, beautiful stuff. But at the end of the day, we like just distill it into a mobile app and say, "Hey, this is a really powerful product," and the user doesn't necessarily care about the intricacies of the zk rollup although it is really important to our value prop that we can never mess with your funds mm-hmm. this is not just any type of trusted scaling solution when you're on layer two we could turn evil go away be pressured and no matter what you could get your funds back as long as yeah. ethereum exists so that's really good but i i want to ask about how the zk how does the zero knowledge proof work with the wallet like is it being because it is it sort of just sending this is just the l2 part is working on the wallet it gets sent to loopring and then it gets written to chain or is it the smart contract i'm just kind of curious where the where the proving and the relaying happens. It doesn't happen on your phone, does it? Uh, so no, no, no. So um, it works with the API. Uh, well, uh, anybody could actually build products on Loopring because we have an API. So it just you send transactions on layer two that you want to do on layer two. You send them with the API to our relayer. Got it. And then we just uh, batch them like in all other cases. Cool. I just do know that there are some projects that are talking about doing ZK proofs on mobile, and that's like what I'm hoping for one day, but I think it's still a little ways off. Well, I think that's mainly for uh, for privacy stuff, because yeah. well, if you use it for scalability, you, you kind of have to, uh, well, you have to batch it as well. So yeah. you need to send them somewhere so they can be, can be batched together. That actually, that was a question that I had was, is there a privacy part of this? Because using zero knowledge proofs, I mean, a lot of the other projects that did only use ZKPs for scaling now at least like consider privacy. Is it something that you're thinking about? And P.S. It's okay if it isn't, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not in the in the near future, of course, if we could enable privacy and with, with no, no drawbacks, then of course we would do it. But it's not really on our roadmap uh, for now. Uh, because it would always also increase costs, probably, and yeah, it would make uh, things quite a bit more uh, complicated because privacy isn't isn't that easy to do. So uh, mm-hmm. we just uh, yeah, we just focus on the scalability for now. Cool. What happens to Loopring with the advent of like ETH two? Is there any sort of plan or thought of how to continue to be the sort of L two solution as they roll out? new parts to the kind of original underlying main chain? Maybe, if they do. <laughs> so in any case, even with updates coming one to two years from now, it actually improves all Z- zero, uh, ZK rollups or whatever rollups. It, it will improve any probably any, any scaling solution uh, because the only thing that will be available will be the data charts. And that's the main limitation of uh, ZK rollups and optimistic rollups. It's, it's really the data part that's the main scalability bottleneck. Uh, and so with ETH2, with the 64 data shards, the amount of data that we will be able to put on chain will increase dramatically. Uh, so it will basically, like, like Vitalik calls it, the ultra-scalable ZK rollups. Mm-hmm. We will be able to use all that data for our rollup which which increases our scalability from like a couple of thousands of TPS to a hundred thousand TPS. Wow! So oh, zk rollups will only get better uh, in any case, uh, even mm-hmm. if uh, even if there's like there's like a whole post from post from uh, Vitalik about this. Uh, even if they enable like Ethereum two execution environments, with those ex- execution environments, scalability will only be a couple of thousands of TPS. So zk rollups in any case are like the way to go. Uh, so that's kind of like unsure if, if it will be able and it will still be enabled on Ethereum to those execution environments or it will still, it will just be the data availability shards and there will just be a couple of rollups that will use those data shards to actually do transactions on top of it. Cool. So, well, it sounds like there's some very exciting things on the horizon. 
And um, I guess good luck with the project. Thank okay. you so much, Anna, for, yeah. for having us. Yeah, thank you for being on the show and for sharing with me a little bit more about Loopring and having this conversation about kind of a fully live L2 ZK roll-up using Snarks and actually a project that's been around longer than I thought. I didn't realize that it had been a year. You're like, you, you're the first ZK roll-up to be live for a year. That's right. pretty cool. You should know, Anna, maybe this is a nice way to end it. It has been my goal to get on <laughs> Zero Knowledge podcast. And I thought as the first ZK roll-up, we earned that right in December 2019. But December 2020 is uh, is good enough. So so thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. And sorry I didn't have you on earlier. <laughs> no, our pleasure. Thank you. Cool. And uh, to our listeners, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.